A is the first Sunday for many businesses, at least in our area, to, to reopen. We entered into phase one of reopening. And unfortunately for, for us, uh, we have a limit with how many persons that we can put in our sanctuary. And so uh, uh, we've decided to continue on with this, this method of worshiping together until some things change or we're able to work it out so that we're able to gather back together again uh, Sundays. Uh, but until then, this will be the way that we meet, and I, I'm grateful for your participation and your faithfulness and the words of encouragement that you've sent my way uh, for how much this is meaning to you that in, in a time when we're unable to come to church, that we can have church in our own homes and still somehow be together. These days, we're seeing many in our country that are being affected by this COVID-19 virus. And as we think about uh, the things that are happening, the things that are happening not only physically to individuals, but the grief and the sorrow, the heartache and the agony that people go through, not to mention the economic struggles that many are being thrust into. There's one question that probably comes to our mind at times like this more than any other, and that is the question, why? Why is this happening? Is there a purpose in all of this for us? Well, today I want us to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's found in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8 and verse 28. You probably know it well uh, or are very familiar with it. We're all, uh, we, we've, we've pulled these verses out from time to time when things are going uh, uh, difficult in our lives, and we say, well, God's in this, so I'll just resign myself to the fact. I want to share with you this verse this morning and give you some understanding as to how this applies to your situation you're finding yourself in and mine and the world's situation that we have right now. Now, to, to just kind of set the table, I want you to know that Paul wrote this letter to the Christian believers in Rome. During that time, the Christian believers, the church, were undergoing what they had been undergoing for some time, persecutions, largely at the hand, or at least with the blessings of the Roman Empire, that there were hardships and hard times that they were facing. And in Romans, in Romans chapter 8, Paul wants that, church that's there in Rome, and because God preserved that message um, for us as well, he wants us to know and to understand something that we need to carry with us as we answer these questions, why? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse, 20, verse 28. Paul writes, and we know, that sounds certain, doesn't it? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. These, these words tell us that, that uh, God is working. God, that God has purposes for things that you and I, sometimes we just don't see or we don't understand. But Paul wants us to know that God is always at work during difficult 
days. Now, I decided this last week that I would spend some, some time just studying the history of the world. Not, I, didn't, uh, I, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that I've studied the, the history of everything that's happened in this past week. But I, I wanted to especially look and see how this world has handled plagues before. I was kind of surprised to know that these kinds of epidemics and these kinds of pandemics, unfortunately, are not all that uncommon. There are several of them. In fact, I read one, um, one paper on, uh, on significant global plagues, and it listed 20 of them, and then it just highlighted several others that were that were a part of, of our human history. And I thought I might kind of share with you some of these things because I want you to know and understand God's been through this before. And God has used what he's, what he's allowed to happen before. The first of those plagues that I, that I want to, uh, to recall is one that's called the prehistoric epidemic. Now, think about that, prehistoric before history, before history of the modern world was being recorded, there was a plague that, that uh, archaeologists and sociologists and medical people have determined probably took place about 3,000 B.C. That's over 5,000 years ago. And in this plague, or, or in this situation, a, a, a village in northeast China was completely annihilated. They took the the bodies of those who were who had died uh, in the plague, and, the, and apparently this plague swept in so strong, so swiftly, and so severely, they didn't have time to do anything other than pick up the bodies, and they threw them into a house. And after all the bodies had been gathered and collected and thrown into the house, they burned the house down. And because of that, they were able, archaeologists were, to uncover this place where there were hundreds, maybe thousands of human skeletons of all, of all ages, young, old, uh, adults, children, in this one place um, that indicated there had been some sort of an epidemic that came through. It's not possible to know what that epidemic was. But what's interesting is, not too far away, I mean, just up the road, if you will, there was another place that did the exact same thing. There was a house that had been, had been a mass grave for the people who quickly were, were, um, uh, were annihilated because of this epidemic. And they burned the house down. And it's caused them to say that somewhere around 3000 BC, there was an epidemic in northeast China that seemed to sweep through the entire region. So epidemics, hardships go back a long way and a long time. This, I also came across another one uh, that you may be familiar with called the Black Plagues. There are a couple of times where the Black Plagues uh, uh, occurred and where there were some, some things that happened because of the Black Plague. First was in 1346 to 1353, and this Black Plague swept over Asia and Europe. Uh, and in so doing, it wiped out, it was, it was believed, over half the population of Europe. Uh, and this, this literally, this event literally changed, uh, uh, changed Europe during that period that we call the Dark Ages. 
for instance, whereas um, there was the, the system of, of serfs and, and those who were the lords over the regions, that changed because with half the population dying, labor all of a sudden became valuable. And people were paid more money, and, and serfdom, essentially, the system was, uh, was done away with. It was believed that it was some sort of a bacteria that caused this black plague, and it was likely spread by, by fleas that infested uh, uh, rodents. Then again, in 1665, 1666, in London, there was uh, the return of the Black Plague. It was called the Black Death then. And there were 100,000 people who died, including 15% of London's population. In 1546, here in the Americas, was the Coquitzli Plague. Coquitzli is, uh, uh, is an Aztec word that means pest, or pestilence, and apparently this was some sort of a salmonella that, uh, poisoning that killed more than 15 million inhabitants of Mexico, what is now Mexico, and Central America, and it had a had a, a drastic effect on weakening the Aztec uh, civilization and the Incan civilization. Then, of course, there also was in the same century. What what were called the central um, or the century, fifteenth, sixteenth century American plagues, and in the sixteenth century American plagues, it was a really a cluster of European and Asian diseases that were brought to Americas to the Americas by the explorers and by the by the conquistadors from Spain, and they probably uh, it probably included things like smallpox and measles, and it contributed greatly to the collapse of the Incan and the Aztec civilizations. Estimations suggest that 90% of the indigenous population of the Western Hemisphere were killed off during these plagues of the 16th century. Then there was the 1889 and 1890 flu pandemic. Uh, this one of course, was before airplanes and international travel except for on ship. So this is one of the things that was so amazing about this one is that this one spanned the entire globe. Uh, the first, faces, uh, first cases came out of Russia, but in just a few months had literally spread around the world. And this flu pa uh, uh, pandemic of 1889 and 1890 killed worldwide more than one million people. Now understand, the population of the world then was significantly less than it is today. And so to, to take one million lives in a world where there weren't even yet a billion people living is a significant uh, pandemic. Then the one that, that the current situation we find ourselves in gets compared to the most is the Spanish flu of 1918 through 1920, just after World War I was over as soldiers fought in Europe uh, in the trenches and, had, and were in close proximity to one another, they returned, many of the soldiers did, uh, uh, to, uh, from Europe and carried with them 
the Spanish flu. It was estimated that 500 million people from the South Seas to the North Pole came down with the Spanish flu, and one out of every five of those died. Now, these are some significant Spanish or some significant flu ep- epidemics, to say nothing of some of the more recent ones that we've had, such as uh, the Asian flu or the H1N1 swine flu, Ebola, the Zika virus, the SARS virus, all of these uh, that have happened in recent years that have taken literally uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands and in some cases even millions of lives through this epidemic. And now here today we face the current one, the COVID-19 or the coronavirus uh, in our world today. Um, I share all this with you because I want you to see and to understand that, that Solomon was right. King Solomon, uh, the king over Israel during the days of the Old Testament, King Solomon wrote, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that has happened has happened before and will happen again. There have been epidemics, pandemics, diseases, viruses, bacteria that have taken that have taken countless lives over the course of history. But there is something that is that is telling about that to me. God knows. God has been through this before and he knows what to tell us in order for us to take, uh, to handle the viruses, the epidemics, the hardships of our lives. Remember a moment ago, we said that we know that God is working. God is at work and God is, is working to bring about his plans and his purposes for those who are called According to his purpose. That verse written 2,000 years ago has the same meaning today as it did then. The early church was a, uh, a church that, that faced persecution and from time to time even pandemics. Um, and yet through it all, not only did they survive and endure and make it through, but they thrived. And I want to show you that in scripture this morning. I want you, if you will, to open with me to the, to the uh, New Testament book of Acts. It's back to your left, just a few, mo- uh, few pages. In Acts chapter 2, the story is told of the birth of, uh, of, the, of the church in Jerusalem. And it tells us how on the day of Pentecost, how the Holy Spirit came down and it filled the believers that were in that upper room. And then um, everybody saw them uh, filled with the Spirit and, and they began to think that the people of the church were drunk um, in early morning. Uh, but Peter gets up and he preaches and he says, this is not a case of us being drunk. This is a case of God fulfilling his plan and his purpose what he has promised. And he takes them through several places in scripture how God had promised he was going to do certain things. After the the sermon is preached by by, um, Peter, we find that 
added that day were 3,000 people to the church. That's a pretty good church growth plan. Then I want you to begin reading with me, beginning at verse 42, what happened to these people? In verse Acts 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and were distributing the proceeds from them to all, to any as had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now these are auspicious beginnings to the church. The church, when Pentecost fully comes, uh, is simply doing faithful activities. Going to the temple, meeting together, breaking bread together, having fellowship together, praying together, hearing the apostles' teaching. And as the truth was being taught to them, and as they were receiving the truth, and as they were living it out in their community, this church began to, to continue to make an impact on the world around them. But here's what's important. For several years, apparently, this church stayed right there in Jerusalem. It wasn't a worldwide phenomenon. It was more of a, of a local one. A good phenomenon, but a local one uh, there in Jerusalem. But just less than three decades later, I want, to, I want you to, to read with me over in Acts chapter 17 what it says about the church then and how, how things had grown from uh, from Jerusalem and literally had spread throughout the Roman Empire. In verse uh, seven, uh, verse six of chapter seventeen, this is recorded uh, in Thessalonica as Paul and Silas have gone into uh, into Europe now to take the gospel message, and they, and they, it's it's said of them that these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. The people who had had such a, uh, a reasonably modest beginning in Jerusalem had now literally in three decades spread around the world. And did you notice in, in Acts chapter 2 it said that they were gaining in favor with the people? Now there were a lot of people opposed to them. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, the, the people of Thessalonica were opposed to what... Uh, uh, to what the, the Christian message was. There was great persecution undergoing. In fact, Paul himself uh, is going to be beheaded in a, in a short period of time in Rome. Peter is going to be crucified. Um, and, uh, and as you look around at the history of, of the early apostles, you find that they were all headed towards great martyrdom. But rather than silencing this church... It caused the church to go into action 
in the world that was around them and make a difference. Within two centuries of what Paul had written, this church that, was, that had undergone the, uh, the persecutions of Nero and Claudius and uh, Marcus Aurelius and all the different emperors of, of Rome, these, uh, these Christians, this church, uh, has now come to a place by the year 313 A.D. where Constantine, the, the emperor of the Roman Empire, declared that Christianity is to be an acceptable religion is to be that the Roman Empire and those in it are to be benevolent toward the church. Within 10 years of this edict, Christianity was, became and was declared to be the religion, the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now my question is, did this just happen? Did, was this a result of, well, it's... It's the church's turn now. Let the church take over for a while. The Roman emperors haven't done so well with it, so let's, uh, let's let the church do it. No, this is a, it is an indication of how God was working in their lives, the lives of the church, to bring about his plans and his purposes. There were two plagues that took place in the Roman Empire during the years between the, the foundation of the church and the, uh, the time when the church was, was declared to be acceptable and, and became the official religion of the Roman Empire. It wasn't just because Constantine liked the church and he was this great devout Christian. It was because of the way that the church had lived during those hard times. And during those days, there were two plagues of significance that occurred in the Roman Empire. And I want to share those with you. And I want to share with you what the church did during that time. The first of those is, is called the Antonin Plague. Roughly, it, it lasted from about 165 to about 180 AD. It was called the Antonin Plague because uh, during that time, uh, uh, Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, uh, was the emperor uh, in Rome, so it's called the Antonin Plague, but it's also known as the Plague of Galen. During this plague, that probably was either a case, uh, an infestation of measles or of smallpox, probably brought back from the, from the Mideast uh, as, as um, the Roman soldiers had been at, at war uh, in, uh, in, the middle, in the Middle East, and had returned to Rome, they carried with them these diseases. And this uh, Antonin plague caused, uh, lasted for some 15 years and, and caused as many as 2,000 deaths per day in Rome. And that during that time, there was a death rate in Rome of 25%. During the, this Antonin plague, a total, the total number of deaths were totaled somewhere around 5 million. And it's been estimated that as many as one-third of the population, the entire population of the Roman Empire, uh, uh, died during this plague. And it devastated the Roman army. 
Now, I mentioned also that it's called the plague of Galen. Galen was a Greek doctor, and he, he was a well-trained, highly intelligent doctor, medical doctor, and he had come to Rome in about 162 AD, and he began to influence Roman medicine. Even today, if you go to medical school, you'll find medical books that, that quote a great deal of the writings of Galen. Galen was considered to be the greatest doctor in all the world. And as, he, as this plague began to settle in, um, and as he would give this advice on how to handle this, and sometimes they would listen and sometimes they wouldn't, finally Galen left Rome. And medicine, medical science, essentially shut down in Rome during this plague. Well, when that happened, the pagan uh, temples that were uh, scattered all around the Roman Empire, and especially in Rome, uh, those priests from those, from those uh, temples also left the city to get away from the plague. And it left a city dying in, uh, in, its, in this disease... And there was no one there to provide help to them except the church. And so the church put their own lives on the line. And they began to set up hospitals and began to set up treatment areas. And they, uh, they went to work to minister to the city that was around them. And during that time, remember, Christians were... Or hated. This is during the times of Marcus Aurelius. And, but yet the church, instead of saying, you guys brought this on yourself, you just have to deal with it. They went in and they ministered to the people. And the people began to see that Christianity was a caring, compassionate religion. The second plague I want to mention, mention to you is called the plague of Cyprian. In the, roughly in the year 249 to about 270, although there was a flare-up later uh, in, that, in that decade, around 280, uh, with this plague of Cyprian. Cyprian was the bishop, wasn't in Rome, but he was the bishop of Carthage, and one of the world leaders on, uh, of, of Christianity on the, on the world stage. This, uh, this plague saw more than 5,000 people a day dying in Rome. It was probably smallpox or measles or something like that. But Cyprian, as the bishop of Rome, encouraged, and he described what the plague was like and how it was affecting the body. And he wrote to the church, and he said, Church, this is your hour. This is the time you must go in to these dying, hurting people and Share Jesus Christ through your ministry and through your compassion and through your comfort. And that's what they did. And they went in and they made an impact again on the, on the, uh, uh, on the world that was around them <clears throat> through this, through this uh, Cyprian plague. And what I want you to see is that during these times, during these plagues, that the church became active in ministering, laying themselves down to serve others that were around them to make a difference on, in their lives. I want to bring you back now then to where we started. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where Paul says, And we know 
that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That verse is either true or it's not. That God is either working at all times and in every situation or it's not true. I happen to choose to believe that it is true. And because it is, there are some things that you and I need to know and to remember from what we've talked about today. The first thing is this. Since the Bible is always true, God is at work now to produce good in the lives of those who love him. You see, this verse isn't a fatalistic verse that just says, well, God's in this. I don't understand it. But my task is just to endure it and make, our, make my way through it. No, this says that God is active and working and is going to produce good in the lives of those who love him and who serve him and are faithful to him. Not just those who believe that he exists, but those who love him and those who are called to do his purpose. Throughout history, even through the plagues that we, that we listed and others that we didn't, God has always been at work during those times. And his people sometimes shone, sometimes revealed the great power and compassion of God, and other times they just kind of blended in. But the way that the church is, can make an impact on the world around us today is to understand God's at work. We can join him in that. We can complain about the situation. We can wish it weren't so. We can say, I'm ready to go out and eat at a restaurant or gather back together at church. Or we can choose to go out into the world where God's working and compassionately and caringly and clearly minister to the world that's around us. Let me share with you another thing that's true, since the Bible's true. And that is that the church must again see these days, not as a hardship to endure or to bear, but as an opportunity to impact our world. And not merely something we have to just kind of suffer along through. One day this will all be over, we say to ourselves and our children. And we'll look back on it fondly then. We have to look at it fondly now. We have to see that God has opened up a world that is searching for hope. And the church is the bearer of the message of hope, the message of God's grace that is sufficient for the times we find ourselves in. We have to look at the, the days that we are dwelling in as an opportunity. Your neighbors, your, the people that you work with and work around, the people that you pass by on the streets, they are your mission field. And there's an opportunity that God is presenting to us to make an impact on them. It's not just something we go through and put up with. It's something that we, that we make a choice that we're going to impact the world around us. And thirdly, since God is at work, and since he is making available opportunities to minister to the world, listen to this, you can be used by him in the lives of others. Sometimes when 
when we watch the evening news and see the things that are going on, we, we wonder, who am I? What difference can I make? You, because God's at work and he's providing opportunities in someone's life, you can be used by him to make a difference. It might be a word of encouragement. It might be a prayer that you, that you offer to somebody. It might be a card that you send. It might be putting on a mask and gloves and a face mask and going out into the world and, and, and facing this, this uh, evil disease head on. It may be sharing your faith with somebody, but since God's working and since the opportunities are around us, you, I, can be used by God during these days. The same way that God used the church during the days of the plagues of the Roman Empire. The same way that, that he, he was active and working in the lives of, of all of these plagues throughout history, so God is active today. You know, God's not caught by surprise by this disease. I was. Seems to me like our world was. We weren't all that prepared, but God was. And God's been down this before. He's done this before. And he knows what to do. And what he does is he raises up people to carry his message to the world that's around him. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be somebody who seizes the day and seizes the opportunity and chooses to make a difference in the world around us?